everybody. This is um, Wrong Term Memories first episode of twenty twenty three. So happy New Year from me, Jack. Joining me as always is Colin. Colin, how are you? Yeah, hello. Happy New Year to you and to all our wonderful listeners. Uh, I'm good, mate. I'm very, very good. Um, it's good to speak. Um, we've got people won't believe this. But we've actually got the next four shows all lined up, ready to go, and we've got a slot to record them in. So our twenty twenty three plan is regularity. Um, organisation and structure and um, we'll see how long it lasts for but that is the plan at the moment my man yeah we'll see how long it lasts for hopefully I sound a little bit better as well I managed to get a new microphone and your setup and stuff like that because I've been recording directly into a work laptop for the last couple of months so that's why the sound's probably been a little bit a little bit iffy but um, we're back on track hopefully in 2023 uh, lots of new plans and things like that and over the next month, what we're going to do is we're just going to pick an event that happens on the Monday that the shows are going to come out. So it's going to be a little bit skew with for our patrons because our patrons obviously get stuff a little bit early. So they'll be getting episodes. A glimpse. They'll get a glimpse into the future. A glimpse into the future, basically. Today, we are going way back in time. This is going to be a bit of a history episode. It's not all going to be history. Yeah, Colin, I know. It's not all going to be history for the next month. Um, although... Next week is. <laughs> Next week is, yeah, and then the week after is kind of history, but it's something to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, it inducted its first people, so we'll just be looking at sort of Elvis Presley and stuff like that, things like that, rather than sort of history. But today we're going all the way back to 1431. Colin, you'll be glad to know, and it is the trial of Joan of Arc, and that's when it began, basically. Okay, so I'm going to just put all my cards on the table right now, right? In terms of Joan of Arc... All I know about her, yes. right? And I, and I, I say that Joan of Arc, I'm assuming as a woman, right? All I know about Joan of Arc is that Morrissey and the Smiths wrote about her in um, the Smiths song, Big Mouth Strikes Again. Um, there's a, a famous double line, um, now I know how Joan of Arc felt. Now I know how Joan of Arc felt. And that's literally my knowledge of this person. So um, you've put this together. Um, we're going to obviously go through it together, but I'm very much learning with you and hopefully with the listeners at the same time. Right, okay, so we've, did we, I don't know if it was this podcast or another podcast over in Heart and Hand that we spoke about the chat AI bot thing, basically, and how yes. it was really quite interesting and how it can produce things that sound like a human's written them. So what my plan was to try and do was to try and get that to write this whole episode for us and it didn't particularly work I, I think i'm just getting to grips with this chat ai thing and possibly moving forward i'll be able to put enough explainers into the, the sort of first box that you use before it writes the stuff for you to be able to get something that um, we can use more um thoroughly uh, is that the right word i'm looking for anyway if you don't know anything about Joan of Arc, the first bit that's here is what Chat AI has basically written for us, and it's going to give us a very quick overview of who Joan of Arc was, why she was famous, and things like that, written for an eight-year-old, basically, because I, I did okay. find that quite interesting. So, do you want to take this away, actually, because you, you don't know anything about this person, right? So, this is the Chat AI story of Joan of Arc, basically. Okay. It's about five paragraphs long. Once you've read this, I'll try and go into a little bit more depth. Um, I have done, when I say studying, I listen to 
one podcast out with the dog earlier about Joan of Arc. So my um, my in-depth knowledge might not be great, but fire any questions you want at me, Colin, during that section, okay? Okay, so this is the chat AI story of Joan of Arc built yes. or created in, with an eight-year-old in mind, which mm-hmm. is perfect for me. Um, so Joan of Arc was a brave and strong young woman who lived in France many centuries ago. When she, was just a te- when she was just a teenager, she began to hear the voice of God, oh dear. And he told her that she had a special mission to help the people of France. At the time, France was in a terrible war with England and the English soldiers were winning. The French people were very sad and afraid and they needed someone to lead them and give them hope. Joan felt it was her duty to help them, so she decided to become a warrior. She convinced the French king to let her lead an army against the English and she proved to be a very skilled and brave leader. She won many battles and she helped the French people regain their hope and their strength. However, the English were not very happy with Joan and they accused her of being a witch and a heretic. They put her on trial and she was charged with many crimes, including wearing men's clothing and pretending to hear the voice of God. Despite the danger, Joan stood up for herself and for what she believed in. She was determined to show that she was not a witch, but rather a faithful servant of God. In the end, though, she was found guilty and sentenced to death. But even though Joan was burned at the stake, her spirit lived on and she became a symbol of hope and strength for the people of France. Many years later, the church declared her a saint in recognition of her bravery and her strong faith in God. So as a, imagine being an eight-year-old girl, Colin. Yeah. This this, this story, why, why do you think this story sort of lives on? Because you you don't hear about medieval women girls all that much you know especially ones that weren't she wasn't uh, she wasn't a noble woman she wasn't a princess she wasn't a queen she basically was kind of like a maybe not a full-blown peasant at the time but she she wasn't part of the the upper hierarchy and people just didn't write or take notes about people like that so why do you taking a guess why do you think this has lived on through over 600 700 years um, I imagine you're, you're going to tell me the reason why um, in a minute. I've, I've had to take a guess. I'd say it's probably something to do with the fact that it's a woman doing something you wouldn't expect a woman to be doing at those times and being successful in it. And more than that, it's a story of the French beating the English at something. And there'll be certainly in some European circles, particularly in French circles, why that would be a story that they would want to keep for the ages, I suppose. Um, that would be my two bets. Yeah, you've almost hit the nail on the head. Basically, it's it's because the story almost feels made up because she was such a young girl um, who went to basically went into battles. Like she did go into battle. Now we'll maybe get to what she was doing during the battles later on. But the story does feel like it's sort of fiction. But I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's that it's a young girl, so it, she almost feels relatable. Basically, and the other thing is. She's basically the best documented young girl ever from the medieval period. Right, because people, okay. Because, like I said, people just didn't write about these these people, these peasants, basically. Because she was the the daughter of a peasant, although that's been sort of disputed, because she did own a two-story house and her dad did own 50 acres of land. So whether or not he was like a, a proper super peasant or not... Doesn't sound it. It doesn't sound it. You know, he also collected taxes and stuff like that as well, so... She wasn't a super peasant, but not a not a noble as well. But she <laughs> was she was she was brought up in super peasant. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm laughing because 
there was a there was five seconds there when I was trying to process what kind of taxis our dad was collecting back in the fourteen hundreds, but oh. I now I now realise you said taxis. Yes. As in money taxis, not car uh-huh. car taxis. Yeah, not car yeah. taxis, aye. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> she was brought up during the basically the Hundred Years' War between England and France. But what had happened during that war was the French had sort of turned against each other. So there was a civil war and because there was two kings of France who both wanted to be kings. Um, one of them was Charles VI and another one, I forgot the name of, but Charles VI is the main one because this this is the one that, um, that Joan speaks to, basically. Because I was going to say, like, is this that, the two kings against each other, the sort of France at war? This is yes. all very Asterix, isn't it? Like the old Asterix yes. stories? Aye, so civil war, basically. Um, and she's brought up in the midst of the civil war where it's the Burgundians versus the another set of folk who, again, I can't remember the name of, but it's, it's not particularly important. We'll just call them um, two... The countries are against each other, two kings who want to be king. And um, she's brought up in a village that's basically surrounded by other villages that are the other team. Like, so she's right in the middle of it, brought up. So she's used to violence. She's used to sort of... Like soldiers raiding their village, um, st- stealing their stuff, taking taxis off of them for protection. The village was burnt down a few times. Um, so can you imagine being any age, any sex, a boy or a girl getting brought up with just that going on constantly? You, th- you think you'd be a bit damaged, you'd imagine? Yeah, you would be. You'd, you'd be in a bad way, I think. You've, I think you either go two ways with your life at that point. You either crumble and just die and become a nervous wreck and give up, basically, because all these horrendous things that are happening, or you try and fight back, and I think the vast majority of people would just crumble and be miserable and hate life, and the fact that she didn't is maybe why she's held in such high regard. Well, her dad kind of had almost given up as well, because her dad always said to her, basically, as well, like, you're going to get taken away at some point and just raped and murdered by soldiers. It's just going to happen. That's just the, that's just the way life is. She was, she she kind of was domestic, basically, like sort of most young girls back then. She didn't have a lot of sewing and stuff like that. She never really worked the land. So again, that sort of points to her not being a peasant girl. And she went to church a lot. And this is the main thing, how strong her faith was, because she was absolutely adamant that she spoke to saints. She spoke to God directly. Now, whether or not you can try and diagnose her nowadays has been... Mental. Like being mental, having mental health difficulties, be having PTSD, having fucking like epilepsy because she used to see bright lights and things like that. We we, we just don't know, and it's kind of hard to diagnose it nowadays, obviously. But she was absolutely adamant that she could speak to God. She she leaves in fourteen twenty eight, so this is like three or four years before our trial. She goes to the next town over where uh, the King of France is, Charles the Six, um, but. He's not quite the king. He's called, there's a title of Dauphin, basically, which is heir to the throne. Is that like the potatoes? The Dauphin potatoes, right. So it's similar. Yeah, the Dauphin was. So he's a a Dauphin, basically, um, heir to the throne. Uh, His four brothers had died. So he's basically waiting to get anointed because back then that was the big thing that made you king was getting anointed. I don't think he ever did get anointed, but we'll maybe get to that. So... She wants to speak to him. She goes the next town over, speaks to an old woman. He says, fuck off. But she's determined. So she goes back a second time, gets knocked back again. Eventually, like the townsfolk start to get on her side. So like they offer her food, shelter, and she sort of get behind her. And then like the third time asking, the nobleman, this nobleman, 
decides, right, okay, we'll take you to speak to the king, but don't embarrass us, basically. This this was quite common back then, I think. There was quite a lot of women, because women weren't allowed to, like, do much back then. Like, unless you were a noble woman, you, you were just binned, basically. You were just, like, there to create babies. So there was lots of women back then that wanted to go speak to the king, but Joan was sort of, like, so determined, and she managed to get a bit of a team behind her that she eventually got to got to speak to the king, basically. How difficult do you think that would that's be? That's good going. Like, even... Yes, that's good going. That's impressive. If I decided tomorrow I wanted to speak to our king, I don't think it would happen. What do you think you would need? To, what do you think you would need to try and do to get a word with the king nowadays? The only way I could possibly do it would be to get to know his schedule and just happen to be somewhere when he's doing one of his walkabouts, and have the whole shake a hand thing and just say, "Charlie boy, mate, um, what do you think of the Rangers or something?" I don't know, but like, that's the only way I could I could possibly speak to him, or else. Maybe one day he'll recognise me from my work, work in broadcasting and podcasting and give me an MBE or something, and then I'll get to go meet him that way. But other than that, that's the only way I can think of. Right. So again, you're a, you're a woman back back then, and you're travelling about and like just just travelling as a, a dangerous game. Is there anything you think you could do that would make it less likely that you would get noticed travelling? The only thing I can think of, and it was given away with the the chatty eye bit, one of the things she was accused of which I guess was wearing man's clothes and pretending to be a man. Would that be one of the things? Yeah, so basically she was um, dressed up as a man so that people didn't notice her as much. But she does eventually get to the royal court and she marches in and she somehow proves um, that she's been chosen by God to uh, the, the Dauphin, this French king. We don't know how she managed to prove it, in inverted commas, but the French king kind of takes a, a bit of a liking to her, basically. So she's managed to convince him that she has been sent by God, but he can't just take that himself. Like, even though he kind of thinks, like, like she's up to it. So what he does is sends her in front of, like, these, like, sort of Catholic bigwigs, basically. So it's almost like a... It's not quite a trial, but it's like a... You need to pass your exam, basically, to prove how Catholic you are or how good you are at speaking to God, basically. And she basically gets the... They go ahead, they basically pass her a sound, like they say she's a good girl and she's a good Catholic. And they can so basically this is basically when you go to X Factor and you'd go through four or five rounds before you get to Simon Cowell, basically. Yeah, basically you you meet the producers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean you, you maybe you've maybe you've maybe like received a letter. Like you've maybe been a busker and somebody's seen you and thought you'd be good in X Factor. Um that's what happened to like one of the guys from Glasgow that was on it with a big neck tattoo. I see him performing in a pub in the town years ago, and then he was on X Factor, and then he was back performing in that. But he got invited. Um, he got invited onto the X Factor rather than sort of going through the whole process. I think, I think that happens a lot with these shows people. now. Yeah, yeah, uh, it happens a lot with Love Island and stuff like that, and shows like that. These guys don't even apply to be on it now. People go on Instagram, find these people, then ask them to go on your fans doing reality TV. Um, it'll be the same. Like some of these guys are on the Apprentice. The Apprentice starts tonight, which I'm looking forward to. And a lot of them will just have been pin pin like head hunted and asked to go on it rather than applied. Yeah, Karen's looking forward to the apprentice. Talking about reality TV, man. I just finished watching the traitors. I'm so glad you watched it because I've been banging on about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And a lot of the time when I bag on about stuff, it goes in one ear and out the other, and you never ever watch it. But this one you did. 
and it's just magnificent, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant, man. Did, was it a weekly show or was it a nightly show when it first came out? So it was 12 episodes and it was three episodes a week. So it was typically it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night each week. Right, okay. I couldn't have took that, man. So the wait, mate, the, the, wait, the wait from the first day to the Tuesday was fucking horrendous. Did Every week was it murdered? was horrendous. Murdered yeah. or anything had happened. It was, it's just such a good show. I'm um, I'm watching the Australian version now that it's the UK one's done, and that's just as good as well. Oh, where do you get that? I need to I need to get that for oh, me and I'll Karen. Link, I'll link I'll link you up. You'll link me up, okay? Because we're struggling for something to watch after that. Because it kind of kind of after it, you're like, what the fuck am I going to watch that's quite as good as that? Because I really yeah, like me and Karen don't watch a lot of TV shows together, but it was fucking fantastic, man. Well, like, you like the Australian the version and. Yeah, you like that, and then next week the American version starts. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll be I'll be watching every single one. Absolutely fantastic stuff. <laughs> so, like after she gets past sound by the, the Catholic bigwigs, we'll call them. They actually give her, her own armor and banner that she can take into into battles. Basically, she was taught to ride a warhorse, which would never happen to a peasant girl. So they set her up to make it look like she can basically fulfill her duty. Now. There's some debate here about whether or not she ever led battles or made any sort of like decisions. But the chances are she didn't. She was a seventeen-year-old girl, basically. So there were like experienced captains that were making the decisions, and they, they kind of liked her. She boosted morale, which, if you know about warfare, like morale is like one of the biggest things ever. You need you need morale. If your morale goes, you're fucked, basically. But she brought high morale, high like people liked her. You know, like, people seen her and thought, right, okay, if she's here, and everybody did believe in God back in the day, and they thought, right, okay, if she's here. There was a lot of prophecies back in the day about a a, uh, a female leader that would come with a weapon and save France, etc. and prophecies were taken pretty seriously back then. So, th- these, once she got there as well, there was these little things that sort of happened that sort of backed up her claims, basically. It was all coincidence. Let's be honest. For example, like one of the first sort of sieges that she went to, the wind changed, which meant that some boats couldn't land. And that meant that it made it easier for them to get out the siege, basically, or, or um, win the siege. I don't know what way around it was, but basically the wind changed and they thought, right, she's here. She's only been here, I think she was there for nine days or something like that. And then that happened. So I started thinking to myself, right, okay, like she's she's not making decisions but she's inspiring and she did, she didn't fight, but she would like kind of be at the front of battles, but she, she would be like the conductor, almost the conductor. Cause she did get injured a few times. Um, as far as I know, she got shot with an arrow in the chest and in the leg. So it was like, wasn't like she was like way, way back in the background, like not doing anything. So again, her, her drive and her, absolute commitment in her own mind that, that God was leading her. I suppose back then if you've nothing else to believe in, that would that could be quite inspiring. Like obviously if you if a seventeen year old girl was telling like fucking battle hardened like soldiers what to do, you're probably going to be like, no get to fuck. But if she's there in the background and things maybe change a little bit, then you're maybe thinking to yourself, she's alright. Yeah, yeah, I've always said, like, I'm not religious in the slightest, but I've always said that 
on some level, it must be really, really great to be religious and to have that faith and to have that power and to have the strength that that would give you. I think on the other hand, it's it's quite naive and it's probably quite a weak thing to require that, but it must be nice in some regards just to have that strength behind you and to have that thought that someone's looking after you and someone's protecting you. Um, obviously, you're, they're not and you're going to die anyway, but to have that thought must be quite empowering. And if, if you're able to share that with others and make others buy into it, then I can totally see why she would be quite a powerful figure. Well, that's the thing. Like Perhaps looking back, like see if that didn't happen to her, the whole her whole timeline would have changed. Like she might, because this is about the trial of Joan of Arc, which we will get to. Because she did defeat the English. Well, when I say she, you know, she was there when the English were defeated a few times. Yeah. But the, the king, the Dauphin at the time, he, he, he kind of wanted peace. Like, his overall thing was like, let, let's get to a, a point where it's a little bit more peaceful and we can sort of all get along. But he was pretty annoyed at some of her antics because her, she wasn't a tactical brain. She, she wasn't a fucking army captain. She just wanted to charge on, basically. Like, that was her, like, oh, I won this one. Let's move on to the next one. Let's move on yeah. to the next one. And she, she was like Leroy, Leroy Jenkins. Basically, just running, <laughs> just running in, Leroy going, Leroy Jenkins. Jenkins. Just running in, so she Leroy Jenkins it right into Paris, and that's when she starts to fail. Basically, like they start to get beat, and people start to lose a little bit of faith uh, in Joan of Arc being the voice of God. Basically, and she's basically benched, um, let's call it. So she's sort of put to the side um, because once she starts losing that, that obviously would undermine her role as God's representative and in turn that's going to undermine the king basically you know like the king's made this decision even so if she's a, a failure vis-a-vis he's a failure so he he kind of benches her basically but, but they don't just like bin her completely you know they make her a noble woman um, which is which is quite a big thing even though they're a little bit embarrassed Banner, to be honest, at the time, but they make her a noble woman. They give her family, like more land, nice house, and stuff like that. But she continues to break rules, basically, and she charges on to another siege. Um, she could have actually been sort of arrested for breaking these rules um, if caught. Like, see if she would have went to this next battle, then won in inverted commas. She probably would have got arrested after it for breaking the rules. But it just what happened, she was captured by the other French. So she was captured eventually. And the other French don't really know what to do with her. So what they do is they sell her. They basically sell her to the English. The English aren't really involved at this point. They're not particularly, like, they don't really know much about Joan of Arc. Like, there's no, um, there's no stories about Joan of Arc in English literature from the time, even though Henry V at the time was sort of God's representative, and you would have thought that if there was a story from the other side of the river that they had God's representative on their side, it might have made a bit of an impact. But they, they they weren't really bothered about her. But what they could get for her would be money. So they thought we'll buy her for a tenner and sell her for twenty quid. Basically, that was basically what they wanted to do. They were going to ransom her, but the Dauphin at the time doesn't want to pay the ransom. He's, he's not really, because he's benched her, basically. He's not fucking interested in her. She's just like a a pain now, to be honest. She's just like a, a sort of a side, a, a side thought, basically. So he doesn't want to 
pay the ransom. So the English have then got this this girl, this teenager, that's not really worth anything. So what are they going to do with her? Ba- well, basically, yeah. So so they decide to basically check her claim because they've got to check it. You can't just kill somebody even back then. Um, they th- decide to check her claim that she could speak to God. They don't particularly hold on to her, but they, they pass her on to the church, basically. And at this point, there's another thing that the Dauphin could have done. He could have spoke directly to the Pope and said, hey, Pope, said, hey, Pope guy, <laughs> get her back or don't kill her, basically. But again, just doesn't particularly want to want to take anything anything to do with her. She's a bit of a, she's a beamer now, basically. A pain in the ass. Seems that way, yeah. She's served her purpose. She's not going to be going to war anymore. And she's probably just probably too loud and gobby for her own use. Right. I realise I've been speaking um, for most of this. So we've, we're actually getting to the trial now. And this is a wee bit more sort of then um, not just off the top of my head stuff. So um, let's, you, you take some of these away, mate, and we'll, I'll jump in if there's anything that pops to mind. Okay. So the trial of Joan of Arc. Um, she was put on trial for, is that hearsay? That one, uh, yeah, that... hearsay, yeah. Here's hearsay. Uh, in ruin on the 9th of January 1431. Um, she was accused of having blasphemed by wearing men's clothes. God, it's changed days now. Um, of acting upon visions that were demonic and of refusing to submit her words and deeds to the church because she claimed she would be judged by God alone. So, the first things, Jack, then, all three of those things are things you would not be put in court or on trial for these days, were they? Uh, wearing men's clothes, that's absolutely fine. Um, acting upon visions that were demonic, as long as you're not hurting anybody, then I think that's okay. And refusing to reveal your prayers or your thoughts because you think God is your judge. Again, that... not on, on its own, not some, not enough to get you in trouble. Yeah, so that, that was a sort of big thing back then was that I don't know if we'll get to it. I, I can't remember my notes here. But she, during trial, she basically said, it was me that was speaking to God. It was me that was speaking to the saints. And back then, the rules of the church were, if God was speaking to you, <laughs> you had to then go tell the church. You had to go tell your priest. You had to go tell the local church, basically. God speaking to me, what did I do about it? So that they took that as a as a sneer towards their rules that she was speaking directly to the big man, whereas they wanted to control that a phone line basically they wanted to intercept that and say no you're not allowed it's it's us that speak to god only so that was one of the sort of main things and and that's where the heretic comes from that that's why heretic was like public public pronunciation that i spoke to god was heresy which meant you were fucked and basically you were going to get uh burnt they used to burn them that's what they used to do back in the day because that was like a why not hang them why not chop them up because burning was cleansing, they thought. Uh, so I, it cleansed that. Like you burn them and it just cleanses the world of these people. Basically, Colin, the, the trial was a, a foregone conclusion. So what was happening? Um, it was like Before it started, it was it was done, basically. But Yeah, it was only ever going to go one way, wasn't it? Um, she was not read the charges against her until after the interrogations had begun, until well after they'd begun, really. Um, the procedures and how the actual case was trialled uh, was below inquisitorial standards. She was subjected to lengthy uh, interrogations without any legal counsel. Uh, one of the trial clerks stepped down uh, during it because he felt the testimony was coerced and its intention was to entrap her. 
Um, another one challenged the right to judge the, the judge's right to judge judge the trial, and they were jailed for doing so. And there is also evidence that the trial records were all falsified, which all kind of leans towards what you said previously about it being a foregone conclusion. This was just a, uh this was just a procedure they had to go through in order to get rid of this girl, wasn't it? Yeah. So th- this is another quite an interesting thing why her legacy has probably lived on so much is because you actually. When I say hear her voice, I don't mean in your ears, but because they took trial records, like there is the the sort of like trial with the the transcripts, basically. Yeah, so you you get to hear her voice, like how she defended herself, what she was saying, and again, probably one of the only sort of records from the the fifteenth century of peasant girls or, or young girls speaking and being heard, basically. There were 133 clergymen at the trial, so they got 133 people to come and, like, not just one lawyer asking her questions. It wasn't just like, here's lawyer X asking Joan questions. It was, here's 133 guys asking her questions, basically. And from what the court records say, she, she was pretty confident um, in, her, in her stance, and she was never really tripped up, and she was never really scared and to submission, um, they they run through her whole life. You know, basically like like what happened nowadays at the like say a, a rape trial or something, where some miserable defence lawyer would pick through social media posts or Instagram posts and say, "Look, look at that! Look how much of a horrible you, person you are." Yeah, you wore a miniskirt this night. That's your fault and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah, true. that's what I really. So they basically done that with her saying, like going through her, her whole life as a as a, a child, as a peasant growing up. And again, she just sort of stuck by her guns, basically, and said, no, nah, I spoke to the saints, I spoke to God, I could see them. Again, that was another big thing, contrary to, to teach, uh, church teachings at the time. You just couldn't say they spoke to the big man, basically. That put her in a, a really bad position. And this was just an awful period of persecution on a whole, basically. Like, people were just getting burnt left, right and centre. If you disagreed, about like what you disagree with us, come here. I've got a bit of petrol for you, and then you just set set them on fire. And then at the age of nineteen, or about the age of nineteen, we're not hundred percent sure when she was born. Um, she was executed on the thirtieth of May, fourteen thirty-one. And then just to sort of rub salt into the wounds, basically, they knew that she had a bit of a supporting. Like they they knew that there were people that were like quite behind her and stuff like that so when they burn her they then hide her ashes because if people can get a hold of her ashes they can then make relics and stuff like that and then praise her and and sort of like keep her memory alive and and they're pretty successful in hiding her ashes some places do parades for her um, like her home hometown and stuff like that and her her mum and dad still try to keep her memory alive And, and like we said earlier the king could have saved her but he just wasn't he wasn't that interested in her to be perfectly honest with you. So that's basically it. Short and sweet, man. Um, quite an interesting story and quite an interesting... Like, it kind of got... Like, again, asking why her um, legacy still lives on. It was probably in sort of Victorian times uh, in France that they were maybe looking for, again, something to write about and stories to, to feed to... Their children and stuff like that, and Joan of Arc was probably one of those ones. So she get kick started again back in sort of uh, the eighteen hundreds, and then she was eventually 
uh, sainted uh, by the Catholic Church in, in 1920. So yeah, it took them 500 years to do it. Eh? It took them 500 years to to saint her, basically. Yeah. So like again, I don't know how interesting you find this stuff. But I I find it kind of interesting in how um, depending on what who you listen to and, and, and what you read and stuff like that, how you can get different stories as well. Because the first podcast I listened to about Joan of Arc ages ago was adamant that she was a, she was just a peasant girl. You know, that, that's probably the more, the more sort of, the, the better story is how this peasant rose. But then when you read about it, that I'm like, yeah, she, she wasn't quite a peasant. And she, if she was a peasant, she might not have been able to do what she'd done and stuff like that. So, yeah, again, like, I bring history, I try and bring, Stuff I find interesting to hear, and and you just sit there, like, oh, for fuck's sake, not again. But no, well, yeah, like, listen, <laughs> let's be honest, right? History's not my bag at all, but you do have a knack of finding the stuff that's probably actually more interesting than I give it credit for. You tell me we're going to do John of Arc this week, Colin. I went, okay, mate, <laughs> no problem. Um, but then you hear the story, and it is actually quite interesting. It's one, it's one that I wouldn't have looked into. It's one I wouldn't have investigated myself. But now you brought it to me. I do find it quite interesting. It is a mad story. Um, it's got the the rags from the kind of rise through the from nothing to a piece of power. It's got war. It's got religion. It's got apparently speaking to God. It's got being trialed as a witch. It's got all sorts of stuff going on in it. So it's it's a hell of a story. Um, so it's a good one, and that's why I like doing this pod. And I don't really mind when you do the history ones because you're not going to present to me the history of the potato or something like that. It's going to be something. We did the history of butchery, um, and it was one of the most popular episodes we've ever done. I don't know yeah, if it was because it was so deal. niche and specific. Well, but everybody was... loves um, steak, doesn't they? It's... But why would they not want to hear about butchers, would they? It's... And what butcher, what butcher specifically? <laughs> what butcher? Well, there is only one butcher, isn't there? Yes. Like, there's only one butcher when it comes to this show. And it's uh, David Cox quality butchers uh, based over in, um, based over in. <laughs> we'll get. Bloody hell, my mind just went completely blank. Kings Park. Well, yeah. So the new shops in Kings Park, but the other one that I is Brigton is the one I couldn't get the, the word out. Uh, mm. Brigton's the original shop, new one in Kings Park. Um, they just seem to be doing better stuff all the time. I keep seeing their social media and different stuff that they're showing, and different pictures of their counters and stuff like that. All the Christmas stuff looked amazing. You could tell it was amazing because their order book closed like a week before Christmas because they were so inundated with people wanting stuff. Um, and now it's just back to all your kind of normal stuff. But yeah, please do check out uh, David Cox Butchers. Um, easiest place to check them out is davidcoxbutchers.co.uk or uh, David Cox Butchers on Facebook if you like seeing all the pictures and all the cool stuff. Um, but yeah, what awards won Best uh, Butcher in Glasgow not long ago. Um, they've got that special smoky cupboard that you, as you call it, Jack, from the dry aged steaks. The wardrobe. Um, the yeah, beef wardrobe. smoky wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than beef curtains. Um, but yes, uh, check it out. Um, they are really, really good. And uh, they really, really help this show by sponsoring us. So give them a wee look and hopefully a wee taste as well. Right, guys. Uh, we'll be back with you next week with, we're giving further back in time, mate. Sorry. Uh, we're going back to Roman times, which I'm sure yeah. you're buzzing about. I, I tell all you what, prick. All I know about this prick is he, he built straight roads. That's literally all I know about him. Right, okay. It's going to be, um, yeah, Roman times we're going back to and um, Augustus and, and Julius Caesar and shit like that. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, I'm going to actually send you a podcast to listen to. Not the rest of history, mate, because I know you don't like them, even though they're okay. brilliant. But I'll send you a... I try to find one that's about 20 minutes long for you, right? Just to, yeah. just to listen to it. And then we'll we'll go back two and a half thousand years um, next week. So speak to you then, guys. Cheers. Cheers, all. Bye.